Today's episode of the Gold Cast is sponsored by. Man, I'm gonna say it's sponsored by Dread, right? This is this is just Judge Dread. Just, <laughs> we are now currently 500 in the gauntlet, two and two, and uh, it. Uh, I don't know, man. Uh, this is a uh, this is not gonna be a fun game, but uh, either way, 40. It's not called 49er. Fans, we're only here when they win. It's called 49er Faithful. And so we keep trudging on. The gold cast keeps going. We don't stop. We do not quit. Kyle Shanahan doesn't quit. This team doesn't quit. So we don't quit. So we're going to keep going. We're going to keep chugging out episodes. And today is our preview episode of 49ers at the Saints. Now, before we get started, Raymond, why don't you let them know, where can they find us? You can follow us on Instagram at the Goldcast, and you can also follow us on Twitter at the underscore Goldcast. And be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere that podcasts are syndicated. We are located, so be sure to subscribe, like, especially if you are on the social medias, and comment if you are on the YouTube and hit the notification bell because YouTube has a weird algorithm that is funky, funky, funky. And in order to get notified of our live episodes, you cannot just only subscribe, but you also have to hit the notification bell so you get the cues as to when we are live on, in, on the interweb, on the line, as they call it. I believe that's what it's called. Yes, on the line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like, subscribe, yeah, and so comment. <laughs> you're, we're on the line. We're on the line now. Uh, absolutely. And... Just so you know, we are going to do our preview of the Saints game. And then following that, Candlestick Will rejoins us to discuss the wine bottle team. So we're very excited. And uh, this should be this should be pretty fun here uh, for us going over our wine bottle team, the defense. Now, we already did the offense earlier in the week. If you haven't heard that episode, it's just the one right before this one. But then we go over our wine bottle defense team. Who made the cut from the last 40 years? You're going to find out after we go through our preview of 49ers Saints. So here we go. The greatest fanalist in the game. He's in the building. You're professor of fanalism. I'm in the building too. Class is in session. Let's go. San Francisco, are you ready? This is the Gold Cast. <laughs> Welcome to another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Sousa III, and with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Solis the first, baby. Yeah, buddy. All right, Raymond. It is here. Preview Thursday. We are previewing the 49ers and the Saints. This was supposed to be, this is officially the Fifth game in the gauntlet. We Luckily, we are almost done with the gauntlet. Uh, but, but there's still plenty of tough games ahead. But we're almost done with the gauntlet. But this was supposed to be the, one of the breakout games. In my brain, we had already smoked the Packers for the billionth time. And now we were going against the Saints to for the big rematch from what I believe was the best regular season game from last year. Uh, but boy, what a difference a year makes. This is not your daddy's 49ers, and we basically are coming and limping with a depleted team. And so here we are, and uh, this is looking to be tough. So let's start going over the lines, Raymond. Let's go over what we got here. So right now, the spread has the San Francisco as nine-and-a-half-point underdogs. Ouch. 
nine and a half. New Orleans minus nine and a half. San Francisco plus nine and a half. The total over under is set at 49.5. All right. And here's just some stats for you. Okay. San Francisco is averaging 25 points per game this season, ranked 18th in the NFL. Ouch. We're surrendering 23 points per game this season, ranked 10th in the NFL. New Orleans is averaging 30.5 points per game this season, fourth in the NFL. And New Orleans is surrendering 25 points per game this season, 14th in the NFL. So they, we, they, we average about exactly what they surrender. Uh, they average about seven points over what our defense allows. Somebody's going to be right and somebody's going to be wrong and someone's going to win and someone's going to lose. Uh, but there we go, Raymond. That is kind of our basic outlook. And why don't you go to that ever-widening injury report <laughs> that we get to experience Oh, my God. Every it's week. a moving target. Uh so we know that uh, Tevin Coleman didn't practice yesterday or Thursday. I'm pretty sure he's out. So fantasy people, pick up Jarek McKinnon if you can. R- a River Car- River Craft, a wide receiver, <laughs> never heard of this guy. He was probably packing groceries a week ago. Uh, Quadricep, limited yesterday, Wednesday, did not participate Thursday. Demetrius Flanagan Fowles, another who the hell is this? Linebacker, hamstring, didn't participate yesterday or today so even the guys we're bringing in from the street are winding up on the injury report Debo Samuel did not practice Wednesday or Thursday so he most most likely will be out this Sunday Trent Taylor did not participate in Wednesday but he was a full participant uh today so that's good news today is Thursday time of this recording and and he was dealing with back issues, uh, the injury that's been bothering him his career thus far. So not a good sign to see it still bothering him. It just feels like he's really not fully recovered from that. I think I think next year will be a better season for him to kind of get back to the Trent Taylor we saw in his rookie campaign. But uh, at least he'll be a full participant most likely on Sunday because we need all the hands we can get, all hands on deck kind of a scenario. Kawan Williams dealing with that high ankle sprain. The Niners are actually debating as to whether to shut him down. If they put him on IR, he's done for the season because he's already been on IR and come back. You cannot do that twice in a single season per NFL rules. So he did not participate yesterday or today and is most likely going to find himself on IR unless for some miraculous reason he is able to overcome the high ankle sprain. But we all know what that, what that did to Jimmy Garoppolo, although Kawan Williams is a little bit more durable than him. On the New Orleans sides, we have Eric McCoy, the uh, play center and guard for them, dealing with an elbow injury. He was limited yesterday and today. We have Drew Brees dealing with a right shoulder injury. He was limited yesterday and today. Will most likely play on Sunday. Ryan Ramskick, Ramsick, he was a tackle dealing with back injuries, limited yesterday and today. Michael Thomas been dealing with ankle, hamstring, even punched a guy at one point in the season and missed a game. <laughs> also, also violence. He's dealing with violence. Uh, limited in practice yesterday and Thursday. Dwayne Washington, running back. What does it matter? Kamara's going to get all the touches anyways, dealing with a back injury. In injury, he was limited today as well. So uh, the big ones there are obviously Drew Brees, Michael Thomas. Pretty sure Michael Thomas is going to play. He's been banged up all season long, so not sure what version of Michael Thomas we're going to get. He's still uh, he's, He'll be one more week removed from the injury he was dealing with last week. 
he was a factor in the game uh, in their contest last Sunday, but I'm not sure if he's fully recovered. Either way, who knows? Maybe he gets into another fist fight and misses the game. Drew Brees, uh, right shoulder injury, you know, I'm, and he throws with his right arm. So that's not a good sign for him. I'm curious to see how that will affect his play in live action. Um, we'll have to see how that goes if the defense can get on him. But if you want more details on the Saints team and their injury report and how they will fare against the 49ers, you're going to have to go to the Houdat cast uh, to get all those you're gonna details. Ha- you're you're going to have to go to the best regular season team lose in a strange fluky way in the regular in the in the postseason saints cast you're gonna have to go to that, that yes cast. That's they the, literally call it that that's the name of the cast that's, that's the entire name of the cast you're gonna have to go there raymond this is a uh this is one of those games that if we win it it's gonna be by just kyle shanahan robert salah like super out this, this is a coach's win type of game coaches have to yeah. scheme our, our way to victory this time Absolutely. And Vegas does not believe in us. Nine and a half point favorites in in favor of the New Orleans Saints, in favor of the best regular season team losing a fluky way in the postseason cast. Saints. Saints cast. It's a long one. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I don't really know. let me just ask you, where where are we at? I mean, what what do you, what do you think? What do you think happened? Well, I mean, defensively, there's matchup problems across the board. The only one that gives us some some sort of semblance is you know, Jason Verrett. Jason Verrett's been playing excellent. Maybe he'll be able to take out one of these wide receivers. Whether it's Emmanuel Sanders, who he's play who he's familiar with, if he if he lines up against Michael Thomas, it's probably going to be it's it's a ginormous mismatch. Emmanuel Mosley, I don't think matches up well with Michael Thomas at all. Um, uh, uh, Fred Warner, he, maybe he'll be able to deal with Alvin Kamara, but if he's not dealing with him, you might have, uh, cooks the tight end, but cooks the tight end. He's a really, he's soft. He's a soft player. You know, he got knocked out of the game last year after uh, catching two touchdowns, but he wasn't able to do much, um, after that. Cause he got a concussion. He was done for the day, but it, it cost us a penalty, but, uh, but to me, there's mismatches between the Saints and our backup players across the board. So you, you're damned if you do, no matter how you slice it here. Offensively, we're just missing too many weapons. This is the third top third-ranked defense overall. So, you know, it's going to come down to scheme. Can Kyle Shanahan scheme his way around this defense? And can those players that we're working with, the limited amount, Richie James, Brandon Ayuk, Jarek McKinnon, those are the three horses we're going to be watching. Maybe a little bit of Ross Dwelly, too, because we know he can catch, too. Those are kind of the four players I'm looking at. Also some Jordan Reed. If Jordan Reed is able to get back in action, you know, he's good for one or two plays, and then he'll be injured back on the <laughs> back on the uh, the sidelines again. But for those one, two dynamic plays we'll get out of him, maybe we'll get a touchdown. So there's there's about four or five players on offense that can really help us move, uh, you know, keep up with the Saints. But I feel like we're going to be playing from behind, you know, running game. We're going to try to establish the running game, but it's really going to be a passing attack. Mullins is going to have to air it out in order to keep up with the Saints because I just think defensively we're not going to be able to stop them. I'd love to be wrong and have some kind of fluke trap game go against the Saints, but I don't see that happening. I don't either. What say you? What do you think the final score of this game is? I'm almost dreading this answer. This is actually this is the least fun I've ever had asking this question from you this season. I think this is 35-24 Saints. 
You're not going to like my answer. Yours is 45-24 Saints. <laughs> I, I, I'll go with you 35. I'm going to go I'm going to go 35-17. I don't know. The Niners are really good at putting up some big garbage time numbers and and you know, coach Shanahan can really kind of get things moving when the def- you know, when when the when the games <laughs> when all the starters go sit down and it's it's their their backups versus our backups. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, when the backups come in there. Well, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> this is rough. This is rough. I take no pleasure in this preview episode Gold Cut Nation. Just keep keep that uh, keep that in mind. Absolutely. I don't think we can get to our defensive wine bottle uh, segment fast enough this week. Uh, What say you, Goldcast Nation? Let us know in the comments. Go to YouTube.com slash the Goldcast and let us know down below who you think is going to win and by how much. And if you need a tissue, let me know. I will Amazon it to you. Uh, Obviously, social distance, I can't get close to you, but I can definitely Amazon you some tissue paper. And um, yeah, we will be back uh, on this segment next Monday for the recap episode and our bye week i incorrectly had said earlier it was our bye i actually thought it was because we didn't play sunday i got confused it's just you know 2020 that's supposed to play in 2020 and uh we're clearly not in a bye we're obviously playing this week but next week we are officially on a bye so we'll discuss it more then and uh so now on to our 49ers defense wine bottle team candlestick wills joining us next boom Yes. All right. We are back for our wine bottle team. This is part two. We did the offense on Monday night, and here we are on Thursday night here to deliver the defense. And these players across the board, I've always kind of preferred defense over offense, just in general. I love the hard hits. I like just I love I love uh, great defensive battles. So this is going to be very fun. We are starting off. Who's going first? Who's doing the D line? That would be me. Awesome. Candlestick Will, it's all you, buddy. Let's take it away. All right, well, we're starting up front, which is the right place to start. And when you talk about defensive tackles in the last 40 years, you've got to start in the late 90s with Bryant Young and Dana Stubblefield. The wine bottle years for them are 1996 for Bryant Young and 1997 for Dana Stubblefield. Two of the best we've ever had, two of the best of all time. And when you look at those two guys – the fact that they played next to each other together, uh, we really you know, needed to appreciate at that time how good they really were. And then when you look on the ends, you've got Justin Smith. His 2011 season was phenomenal. Um, as probably the best right end uh, we've seen in, uh, in recent years especially. Um, shout out to Fred Dean. Uh, his 1983 was a pretty epic season but uh, didn't quite uh, match Justin Smith's performance in 2011 for me. Um, but shout out to Fred Dean, rest in peace. You know, one of the 250,000 Americans that have died from COVID. Um, so we just want to give him a, a shout out and maybe dedicate the episode to him as well. And then on the other end, we've got the guy from last year, rookie, uh, you know, one of the best rookies in 49er history, maybe as good as they've ever had, uh, Nick Bosa from 2019 as the left end. And uh, it really is pretty impressive. The Super Bowl team in 2019, their defensive line across the board with uh, Eric Armstead and DeForest Buckner, Nick Bosa. I mean, they had some of the best performances the Niners have ever seen. And both Armstead and Buckner could have easily been on this team. Absolutely. Absolutely. Raymond, your turn. 
Let's move over to the linebackers, baby. The big guns. My favorite, personal favorite position on the defensive side. Like you, Rudy, I'm also a big fan of defense. I like to watch defensive play over offensive play, but uh, there's nothing definitely more exhilarating than watching a, a big touchdown throw or a big touchdown run. Uh, with that said, though, um, let's get to the edge rushers uh, for the linebacking core, and that starts with Charles Haley. Man, what an amazing player. And we chose the 1990 season, which was an all-pro season for Charles Haley. He had 16 sacks, 58 combined tackles, which for that time was actually phenomenal, 50, uh, especially for an edge rusher like that. Uh, the, the tackle side, typically the inside linebackers are the ones that are going to be racking up a lot of the tackles on the stat sheets, but the edge guys are your sack men. And Charles Haley was one of the best in the business. He had multiple double digit sack seasons with the 49ers and the Dallas Cowboys, but no season was better than his 1990 performance. Moving on to the inside. I'm pretty sure a lot of you can guess as to who at least one of these inside stars will be on the wine bottle team. And it is none other than the player that I actually own a jersey for because he's my favorite linebacker, one of my favorites of all time. I'm also a big Kevin Green and Greg Lloyd fan from the 90s Pittsburgh team. But uh, it was uh, number 52, Patrick Willis. We chose the 2009 campaign, which was also an all-pro season for Patrick Willis, although he had five all-pro appearances throughout his career, seven straight Pro Bowl appearances and in this particular season, he actually had, uh, what was it? He had three picks. He had four sacks, 152 combined tackles, 114 solo tackles, 38 assists, and 13 TFLs to go along with 11 quarterback hits when he was called upon to rush the passer. So just a phenomenal speed, phenomenal athleticism. The really amazing thing about Patrick Willis was he could – defend against the run and the pass. He had enough speed and that amazing, phenomenal size of his to run with uh, wide receivers and tight ends. He was just really good all around from day one up until the last season uh, before his retirement because of he had a really bad turf toe that forced him out of the game. Otherwise, he would have played probably another three, four years. Uh, moving on to his co-partner on the inside game, um, some of you may may think this is a surprise, but uh, I don't find it to be a surprise at all. It was the one player that he played alongside with, number 53, Navarro Bowman. We chose the 2011 campaign for this wine, pot, wine bottle position. Another all-pro performance uh, for that year for Navarro Bowman, although he had three other all-pro performances to go along after this season. And he had, what was it? Uh, he started all 16 games. He had two sacks, 143 tackles, and 111 solo tackles to go along with 32 assists, 13 TFLs, and six quarterback hits. He had some pretty good seasons in addition to this, but we really felt this one kind of stood out. I mean, you could you could argue the 2013 season too because he also had a couple picks during that year. But, you know, um, I think 2011 was, again, one of those uh, – 2011 through 2013 were all NFC Championship runs. And uh, Navarro Bowman just really kind of balled out in all three of these seasons. So you really can't go wrong with either one of these picks, in my opinion. But 2011 is where we settled. And on the right side edge – we're going to, well, that's Lisa's that's where he played most of the time. But on the right side edge is, of course, the controversial but phenomenal 
uh, natural athleticism that we saw in the very short stint from Alden Smith. And that was number 99. We chose the 2011 season, even though his rookie campaign was really impressive. I'm just not, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of surprised he wasn't picked for the Pro Bowl because he had 14 sacks in his, pro, in his rookie season. But 2012 was, again, another Pro Bowl, all pro season for Alden Smith. And he racked up 19 and a half sacks. That is among some of the best that have ever done it all all time. I think 22 sacks is the record uh, held by, um, what's his name, uh, Strahan, Strahan from the Giants. Um, he had 66 combined tackles that year, also 50 solo tackles, 16 assists, 18 TFLs that season to go along with 29 quarterback hits. Just an absolute game wrecker Alden Smith was. Even had a pick that season as well. Uh, just a tremendous season from a tremendous player who's actually finally back in the league this season with the dismal Dallas Cowboys defense. <laughs> he, has, he has five sacks on the year, though, so if he, if he keeps it up, maybe he has uh, nine quarterback hits and three TFLs to go along. So shout out to his 2020 campaign. At least he's back and he's, he's in, in a better place, it seems, so good for him. But we settled on the 2000. 12 season because how can you go wrong with 19 and a half sacks i mean you're just a few shy from the record so uh and that was just in his second season had he really kind of kept a better level head and and his off off the field problems i mean this guy could have really dominated the record books easily in the sack category alone let alone tfls and some of those other stats so unfortunate but you know he is back in the season so good for him but that is the linebacker core out of me so just some tough tough company out there in the middle section of the field what i find really interesting is that three of those guys all played for harbaugh and fangio three of them three of those dudes were all all from one era but that that defense the 2019 defense was pretty monstrous and uh but i don't know i what would you would you guys would you guys say that that harbaugh fangio defense was tougher then the 2019 defense rate. What do you think so far? Just this, like I know we're not done. We're not quite done yet. We're, you know, but I, I, but since those three guys kind of really encapsulate an era, would you which which defense? Let here here's a fun question. Let's go all three. Uh, well, we'll save. I'll save it for the end. I'll save it for the end. Um, but who would you say right now, just off of this first one, 2019 or like 2012? Who would you go with, Ray? Who's tougher? It has to be 2012. Yeah, I'm just picking from those these. Oh, because we went to the Super Bowl that year. Yeah. Um, it's you know, in terms of Pro Bowlers, the the Vic Fangio defense by far and away had way more of those components voted to the to the to the All Star game. 2019 did not. It had a, a few, but um, but I just felt like statistically 2019 was better, but overall talent, uh, 2012 by a mile. Councilor, what do you think? Who, who who do you lean towards? Well, I think when whenever you're thinking about a defense, you know whether it's the '85 Bears, you know the Ravens, you know when you're thinking about a, a defense, you're talking about what's what's the defense that scares you the most? What's the defense that's top heavy? You know what's the defense that's loaded with you know player players playing at a Hall of Fame level? And just looking at the wine bottle team we have, um, you know. Not to step on any um, DB toes, but you know Nick Bosa is the only one that made the team um, from the 2019 team. And there's definitely we, we had you know guys like Armstead and Buckner and Sherman and other guys were considered for this, but Bosa was the only one that made it. 
and we have Justin Smith, Patrick Willis, Navarro Bowman, and Alden Smith all on this team. Um, so while they didn't have a perfect defense and there, there were some, you know, some spots that maybe weren't as strong, they had strength in all three phases of the defense. Um, so you had DBs that just killed people. You had, you know, a defensive line that could create pressure and you had the best linebacking core in 49ers history. So I think it's hard, uh, especially because you had Alden Smith and Justin Smith, um, you know, create, creating so much havoc that Patrick Willis and Bowman could just do whatever they needed to do. Um, that that was a much more intimidating defense to face. Um, and I'm not ta- I don't mean to take anything away from the 2019 Niners defense because when they were at their best, they were really tough to to deal with too. But you have a lot of guys now. I mean, you're, you're seeing it now with the lack of depth with some of the injuries. But they had a lot of guys that were just kind of playing over their head because they were brand new to the to the league, brand new to the team. You know, we're seeing you know, with guys like Warner and some others that they're going to become players, but literally in 2019, they were just starting out. They were just getting their feet wet in the league. So I think the the defense in 2012 and, and that Super Bowl defense especially um, was so primed and ready to just kill whoever was in front of them. And, um, you know, had they won, it would have been a big, a big part of that would have been the defense. Absolutely. I like this. I like where this is going. Great points. I've got one more one more battle royale for you guys that we'll save after the cornerbacks so, or the secondary. So I'm doing the secondary. This is probably my favorite position. My favorite position to play as a kid was free safety and corner. Yeah, back. look who I got right right behind I me. I see it. You got my boy, Dion. Man, Dion and Joe Montana, saddest days in sports history for me when they both left the team. Dion, it, we, we flew too close to the sun, and he was gone. He was gone before I could even really get used to him. And uh, I loved Dion. He was the first. I was I was like 14 at that time, and, and he was the first guy that I, I, he like electrified me. And I, I remember just him talking in the press conferences about what he was going to do and what he was going to do in the game, and then he would do it. And it just – I was so impressed with that. I was so blown away. He, he backed up every ounce of shit talking he dished every out. Every ounce. I just had never <laughs> seen that. I had never in my life – I remember running up to our dad, unofficial fourth member of the Goldcast, Rudy Solis Jr., and telling him, I go, did you see that? He said last week – that he was going to do that in the press conference, and then he did it. He actually did it. I was blown. Like, my mind, my my 14-year-old mind could not comprehend that someone could call their own shot as accurately as Dion did. It was the coolest experience. I'll never forget just how blown away I was by that. All right, so let's start. First, first up at corner, we have Eric Wright. 1983 Eric Wright, 80s Eric Wright, not 2000s Eric Wright. Uh, His best statistical year was 1983, seven interceptions for 164 yards, two touchdowns, and one fumble recovery. Unfortunately, the stats aren't as in-depth as they get a little bit later on, as you'll see here. Yeah. Uh, And and what surprises me about that, sorry to interject, but what surprises me, what bothers me about that is that Eric Wright didn't make the Pro Bowl. Like, how many picks did he need in order to make the Pro Bowl in 83? (laughs) God, the standards must have been so high in the 80s. Jeez. I, I was unaware. <laughs> <laughs> I know who's the guys that made it. How many how many interceptions do they have? Twenty. <laughs> uh, uh, so there we go. I, I'm gonna save my, I'm gonna save Dion for last because his is out of control. Uh, next up, I'm gonna go with uh, strong safety Merton Hanks, 1994. I mean, it, it's it, it, even even if you're 
even if you don't know, even if you don't know the stats off the top of your head, I I feel like most diehard Niner fans who are old enough to remember would probably go, okay. Even though I'm not sure what his best year was, but it's probably got to be '94 uh, on that on that that 49ers team. That defense was destruction. He also had seven interceptions, 93 yards, two fumble recoveries, five sacks. Seven combined tackles, sixty-five solo tackles. That's that's that is wow. one monster year. One monster. Such a good player. Such the chicken dance. The chicken dance. That little step he did with that yeah, was so good. Yeah. That's always what I remember. I always when I think of Merton Hanks, I think back to that play. That and, that and he works. He works in the front office now. He's still part of the Niner family. Still is part mm. of the Niner family. Uh, next up, oh man, the goat. If Joe Montana is the ultimate goat for the offense, then. Ronnie Lott is the goat of the defense. I mean, him. It's it's probably you got to probably go. What would you guys say? Would it be? Would it go? Lot, just an overall talent. I'm not talking about longevity or anything. Let's go power rankings. Do we go? Is it Lot Haley Sanders? It's like the three greatest of all time that ever played on the defense. Like just overall talent. Like obviously Sanders only played one year, so I'm not talking about longevity on the Niners. I'm just talking about the greatest to ever wear a 49er uniform. And play the game. Is it Lot Haley Sanders? Lot Sanders Haley? Def- defensively? Defensively. If you're talking just talent, there's no way you put Haley above Sanders. Because Sanders is, you could easily make the case Sanders is the greatest corner to ever live. And you can also make the case that Lot's the greatest safety to ever live. So Haley is amazing. He's one of my favorite players to ever step on a field, but he's not on that level. Like he is one of the best pass rushers of all time, which I mean, so there's no shade on him at all, but he's not the, he's not Reggie white. You know, he's not by far right. the, or the, Bruce Smith. Right. Or... And I think you'd have to be Reggie white to get above lot or Sanders in your, in, in your power ranking based on what your, what your definition was, which was just who's the most talented who's ever played defense for the Niners. I like it. Raymond, do you agree? You go that is that your uh, I do yeah and you know uh, Sanders you know Sanders was uh maybe you know I don't, Sanders is not my he's my favorite corner but I don't know if he's the best corner I think he's probably the best cover corner that ever played the best man to man cover corner that ever played the game um but anyways that's a debate for a different show uh called Deion Sanders the 94 season <laughs> well, and it, and if you're if you're talking talent too like I was I agree with you that it's probably those three that would be the top three but if you're talking about who's the best talent that ever played for the Niners that 90 that 95 team um that had you know every free agent that was you know every veteran free agent available from the Ken Nortons the Gary Plummers the Charles Manns the Richard Dents the Kevin Greens the Tim Harris I mean those guys weren't any of them weren't none of them were in their prime except maybe Norton, um, you know, at that time. But those guys are all pro bowlers, you know, Chris Dolman, too. I mean, those were all pro bowlers that um, you could absolutely put high on a list like that because they might not have been in their prime as Niners. But if you're just talking about sh- sheer talent levels of football player, a lot of those guys were, you know, all pros and borderline Hall of Famers and even a couple of them are Hall of Famers um, now that yeah tim mcdonald had some fantastic seasons with the niners yeah. but it just wasn't as legendary as ronnie Lott's right, right. entire career yeah i mean yeah so that, <laughs> that, those, those teams especially were loaded you know we're talking just on paper that 95 team was incredible um you know that 94 95 era of that niner defense was just phenomenal 
Yeah, we're we're gonna get to that too. You're uh, you guys are skipping ahead just a little bit. We're gonna we're gonna talk about that at the end here. Uh, <laughs> we are. Let's go through Ronnie Lott's uh, best statistical year, 1986. All right, so 10 interceptions for 134 yards, one touchdown, three forced fumbles, two sacks, 77 combined tackles. They don't have his solo tackles, but at least you get his combined tackles. What I think is really weird. Again, stats are they're getting better, but like Eric Wright, they don't even have listed any tackles he had for for 83. So he has 77 combined tackles. And then my favorite corner of all time, maybe arguably probably my favorite defensive player of all time. Neon Dion, prime time Dion Sanders, his best year, 94, going back to 94 again, this magic year, six interceptions, he returned them for a total of 303 yards, three touchdowns, this is a record that holds to this day, this still hasn't been broken, <clears throat> one, f- has anyone tied, p- the, I don't know if anyone, pick I, I don't know if anyone's tied it, I don't know if anyone's tied it. I I, I didn't look that. I, I I think it's the it's the three touchdowns. I think I think that's the one that it hasn't been broken yet. One fumble recovery. Two of his two of his inter, two of his interceptions were returned for a gain of ninety yards. Two of those interceptions were ninety yard returns. Man, the guy was a gazelle. He was voted Defensive Player of the Year in '94. Uh, he recorded an end zone interception. Uh, in the fourth quarter at the end to, of our fifth Super Bowl in the Super Bowl. End zone interception in the fourth quarter in the Super Bowl. Uh, I mean, what what more can you do? That That is just insane. That was That's just those numbers are crazy. Uh, so here we go. That's that's my top three. 80, Eric Wright, 83. Merton Hanks, 94. Ronnie Lott, 86. Deion Sanders, 94. And to go through the entire list one more time, uh, on defense at defensive tackle, you have Bryant Young, 96, Dana Stubblefield, 97. You have Nick Bosa on the end at 2019, Justin Smith on the other at right end at 2011. And the linebacking core, you've got middle linebacker Patrick Willis, 09, Navarro Bowman, 11. You've got left outside linebacker Charles Haley, 1990, uh, right outside linebacker Alden Smith, 2012. That is is our wine bottle defense. I have one more fun question before we wrap it up, guys. Okay. You've got the th- the big three. And now we kind of, we I feel like we've already kind of ranked 2019 a little bit, but let's go 2019 versus 2012 versus 94. The, these three defenses. Now, now, if my dad was here, my dad would probably go, don't, for- don't you forget 84. Don't you leave out 84. But... We're we were all much younger. We were all very very young for '84. So let's go through the three that we probably we all remember the best. Okay, let's just we're we're not discounting '84, Dad. All right, we, we're not discounting '84, but let's just go through the three we remember the best. So let's go '80, uh, '94, '2012, '19. Who gets the top? Who gets the top? Uh, uh, Candlestick will we started with you first, Ray? I'm going to start with you first. What's what's your power rankings for these three defenses? Man, that was, that, was a, okay. that was a pregnant pause for days right there. That was, <laughs> try to break it down in his mind. I love it. Mm-hmm. That's a tough question. All right, name 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 the years again. <laughs> Ninety four. <laughs> so that's obviously we go to the Super Bowl against the Chargers. 2012, we go against the Ravens. 2019, the Chiefs. 
all three, all three of our Super Bowl defenses, who do you choose? Who's the team? Who's the, who's the power rankings of the three? I I already know my power rankings. Man, to me, to me, I think I think it's. I mean, if I was to get into the weeds, I would I would this would be more challenging, and that's where I was starting to go, which is what the pause was from. But when I take a step back, I think I have to just go with the ones. I have to go with the '94 team first because they won it um, with those stars. And I think they combined with Dallas had the most pro bowlers in all of football that season. Um, And then for number two, I'd have to go 2012, just the talent. Again, I think they had, they had, I think 2011, they had seven pro bowlers in 2012. They had a little bit less than that, but still just as potent of a squad. And then 2019, probably in the third slot. Candace, well, what about you? What do you say? I feel like I, I feel like I'm going to sound like like the old guy who can't handle the new things, but I'm probably going to go in order of when they happened. So I would probably go 95, 2012, 2019, in, and I would put 84 above all of them if we're throwing 84 in. So, it, it, which again, as I, as I'm saying it, it sounds like I'm like no, the old the old era was better, you know, kind of thing. But I mean. There was a big reason. It wasn't just Montana why that team went 15-1. and one. That defense was completely loaded. The 94-95 era, the only reason they don't have three Super Bowls is because the Cowboys were also loaded. And so you have... you have, And it was a team just full of, full of studs and just the best depth they probably ever had because of how many veterans they got on one-year deals um, to fill that team out. That even when they lost guys like Richard Den, it didn't even matter because they had they had so much other you know other talent out there. And then when you look at we are we already talked about this, but you know I think 2012 is is better than 2019 um, just based on how top heavy that team was. I agree with you guys. I go I do the same thing. I go 94, 12, 19, and you're probably right. You probably you, I mean 15 and one. I mean how can you deny that? That's that's bananas. The the ninety four Dana Stubblefield candlestick wheel, um, wasn't he defensive player of the year that season too? The the wine bottle season we had was his defensive player of the year season, which was ninety six or no ninety seven. Ninety seven was his What was uh what was the stats for him on what was the stat line for him that 15 season? Fifteen or sixteen sacks. I mean he had it was an amazing uh statistical year for a uh for a defensive tackle especially, which is why he got so much money to go to Washington. Um, because of just how obscene those stats were. He had, I'm pulling it up right now, 15 sacks in 97. But he had, you know. In, wow, in, in, that's huge. In 94, he had eight and a half, you know, but 15. Right, as an interior, as an interior right. uh, defender. Yeah, I mean, and we're talking about, you know, Alden Smith had, you know, such a record-breaking year in, in a lot of ways with his 19 and a half. But to get 15 from the defensive tackle position, that it's hard enough to get five sacks from that spot, let alone 10, let alone, let alone 15. So it, you know, it was, it was funny. I always, um, I always remember going to a, a sports card show and they were selling Brian, a Bryant young autographed eight by 10 and a Dana Stubblefield autograph eight by 10. And in hindsight, I, I would have rather had the Bryant young, but I bought the Dana Stubblefield cause he was coming off 15 sacks and he just looked like, 
he was going to be the better player um, because that was just it was an it was just a phenomenal season it really was and um, and so it it was it was in that at that moment it was it felt like a no brainer like Dana Stubblefield's clearly the the best of the of the bunch but you also as a, a teenager you don't necessarily realize that one of the main reasons that Stubblefield had 15 sacks was that Bryant Young was getting double teamed all the time because he was actually the more dangerous of the two. And that was leading Stubberfield to single coverage and getting to the quarterback whenever he wanted. And it was a, you know, it's pick your poison because if you stop double teaming Bryant Young, he would have had 20 sacks, you know. So um, that, that defense was so stacked in, those er- in that era that those two just fed off each other so perfectly. Yeah, they were like the DeForest Buckner and the, the Eric Armstead of that era. And they're, they're better than, than those two guys, even though um, Buckner, the Twin, Tower, Twin Towers only lasted a couple seasons, unfortunately, and one season where they were, you know, finally uh, kind of on equal level. And Bryant Young, that was the 96 season, right? The, his, his, the his. best season that Young had for the Niners was, was probably 96, I, I would say. But he was, he was still dominant in 97. I, I actually look at the, the Eric Armstead-Buckner tandem similar in the same way that Eric Armstead had that big year last year, which ended up making the Niners decide to keep him over, over Buckner. But Buckner was really probably the better of the two. And so Buckner was the Bryant Young that, you know, didn't necessarily have the stats. But actually, if you really think about it and look at the and look at the performances, he was the one that was actually more dangerous. But Armstead benefited more from that relationship on the field with the stats. And so it was and, and you know, you don't want to have to lose either one of them. But um, the Niners made the decision to keep Armstead. And, and I think I think they what they did was they kept Stubberfield and got rid of Bryant Young. Um, but you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that was a terrible decision, but I do think that Buckner of the two was the more valuable overall player. Yeah, it was a tough one because I thought that, you know, Armstead had a long injury, injury history uh, leading up to that year. The last two seasons, he's been great. He's finally kind of come and come out of that weird funk where he just got injured every season and kind of derailed his own progress. And uh, the, the, the season before his Pro Bowl season, Dar- uh, DeForest Buckner had 12 sacks with, with no help on the line, uh, which is really impressive uh, on his end. And ended up, ended up with like six and a half, seven the next season when he had Bosa, Ford, and Armstead all playing at the same level. But yeah, I'm surprised, you know, and I don't think they tracked TFLs bef- in the 90s because in Bryant Young's 99 season, which was slightly less, not as good as his 96 season. He still had 11 sacks, but he also had 19 TFLs. Um, Crazy, crazy TFL stat uh, for Bryant Young. And but that's exactly what you want out of an interior defender: stuff those run holes. Well, and Mm. tackles for losses is so much harder from a defensive tackle position too, because you're not necessarily getting up the field very often. So if you're getting a tackle for loss from a running back it's because you made a perfect play because usually you're just stuffing a guy for no yards which isn't a tackle for loss so if you're getting a running back behind the line of scrimmage you're creating insane havoc quickly um because usually if it's if a running back's getting a four or five yard loss it's because of a defensive end or an outside linebacker you know on the edge not because of an interior lineman so an interior lineman's only going to get a tackle for loss because of a sack which doesn't happen very often or because of a running back and just hitting that hole perfectly. So to have double-digit tackles for losses um, as a defensive tackle is similar to an edge rusher getting double-digit sacks. Totally. Nice, guys. Well, that was awesome. And 
I'm pretty happy with this team. Very, very well done. Good job. Candlestick Will was really the, the, the main architect behind both the offense and the defense. I think he did a great job. And thanks to everybody who participated on Twitter and uh, put in their vote for who they thought they should see. Well, hey, wait, let's we got to throw you, you threw us a wrench with Bill, with uh, Bill Walsh. And what's the coach? Well, who's the defensive coordinator? Oh, give us our choices, Candlestick. I, I'm, I just thought of it, so I'm not. I don't have. I don't. <laughs> Impromptu. I'm thinking like so. Like, yeah, Pete Carroll, Seifert, Fangio. You had, you had Seifert. You had Fangio. Seifert, Fangio, Sala. You can throw in Sala because of the 19 team. So, it, is there? A, I mean, I, I would. I would just off the top of my head, I would go Seifert. Um, I think that 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 def, that defense was was very underrated in those years. Um, not Montana and Rice always got the attention, but that the defense was always, you know, keeping them in games throughout the throughout the time. So I'd probably pick Seifert, but you know, Pete Carroll's teams were were phenomenal, and so were uh, and so were Fangio's. I would go Fangio. I think he was just so creative. He was just. I'm gonna go. Um, I'm gonna go. Uh, oh, sorry. Finish your finish your blurb. Why, well, why do you pick Fangio? Because I I don't. I think he was kind of a straightforward defensive coordinator. I don't think there was anything fancy about him, but maybe you saw something different. Yeah, I just, I just, I just like what he. Yeah, I mean, he was straightforward, but he was just so good. He was so good. I think he's better than Sala. Sala's fairly, you know, Sala gets fairly creative, but I, I think the the what he was able to do with those defenses and the way the way he was able to scheme week in and week out and just take away whatever whatever any offense was good at he would just he'd make you play left-handed every single week in and week out he was just the best at that he was the best at being able to take whatever you were good at and take it away and in a you know whereas like the 94 team it's it's hard to know man i mean there's like literally nothing but an all-star crew the three of us might be able to go out there and coach and to be the same exact thing you know i'm gonna go i'm gonna go seaford because he won it he won it as a defensive coordinator and then won it again as a head coach um so to me that's kind of what sealed the deal for me it's a good argument it's a good argument what about you what do you think candlestick will who you go with yeah i'm going i'm going seaford i think uh you know he's he ended up being uh, he ended up being underrated as a head coach because no one could live up to this the standard that bill walsh set and i remember you know feeling like maybe Holmgren should have gotten the job over him. And, you know, I think Seifert was in a, in almost an identical position as Steve Young as, you know, good luck winning four Super Bowls like Walsh, good luck winning four Super Bowls like Montana. And Seifert kept them right in there, you know, year after year. And just like we were saying before, if it wasn't for mm-hmm. the Cowboys being slightly better on those days, those two those two games, they could have easily been three-time champs with Seifert like that um, and and ended up with – Four, four Super Bowls themselves. I mean, Holmgren only won one championship, so it might have been the same result right. uh, had he right. taken over as a head coach. I think the only one where you make kind of an argument as to what if is uh, Mike Shanahan. Yeah, definitely. That's well, that was that well, was yeah, my Mike, vote. Mike Shanahan and uh, Pete Carroll both being with the Niners, you know, and among you know De- uh, um, Dennis Green and Ray Rhodes. I mean, their 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 talent tree is. Is was always yeah. was always phenomenal. Playoff caliber coaches, they all went to the playoffs. Mm. So, what say you, Gold Cast Nation? Who do you choose for your wine bottle team? Let us know in the comments. Go to YouTube.com/slash the Gold Cast and let us know who you who would you choose for your wine bottle. Do you agree with our list? Are there some other players we haven't thought of? Let us know. And then also, what are your power rankings? 
84, 94, 12, 19. Where do all these rankings stand? Where Who do you rank? Who do you list and why? Maybe you put 94 above 84 just for the sheer amount of all-stars, all pro bowlers that were on there. Who knows? The legends. Who knows? Let us know. Go to YouTube.com slash The Goldcast. And so concludes another edition of The Goldcast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Salisa III, and with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Salisa I, baby. And our esteemed co-host, Candle Stick Will. Boom! We'll see you next time. Same Goldcast time, same Goldcast channel. This is, is the Goldcast.